Happy Father's Day. If you are a man, give me like a, yeah, I like it. If you're not a man, you don't understand it. You don't understand that, but it's just, that's a sound that we make, you know, really for anything. Hey, do you want uh, some more food? It's time to get up. You know, just, it works for everything. Well, hopefully you, you uh, grab some cold brew coffee uh, on the way in. Did you get some cold brew coffee, some cotton candy. I drank two coffees. I had a whole thing of cotton candy. Um, so I'm going to talk like this today. It's so good to have you here at Joy Church. And uh, <laughs> I already talk fast. So when you load me up with caffeine and sugar, I just go to a whole nother level. But uh, man, we're so excited to celebrate dads, to celebrate fathers today. And uh, if you are uh, a father of children, biologically natural children or raising kids, we celebrate you. If you're a man and, and uh, you don't have kids either yet or you don't plan to have kids because you're wise and you just, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> you like sleeping, you know, and having your money. Um, <laughs> no, but we, we want to celebrate every man because even if you're not a biological father, you're called to be a spiritual father, to disciple uh, young people and to uh, walk in the, the calling of, of masculinity and manhood that God has placed upon you. And so uh, this morning, I believe, is going to be an encouragement for everybody, whether you're a man or a woman, because I believe this, that when dads get better, when the father figure, the, the position of fatherhood, when that gets elevated in our, our culture, the whole culture gets better. It's very interesting when you look at statistics about fatherlessness in society that where the father figure is missing, either absent or abusive, there's problems in every area, both sociologically and mentally and physically, all kinds of different ways, and drug use and crime and all kinds of things. The father factor is very important. And so we want to elevate dads, elevate the, the father figure in a positive way. God is a father, right? It's how God chooses to represent himself to us, and so uh, we want to elevate the perspective of fatherhood. So we're here to celebrate dads today, and uh, hopefully, uh, dads, your wife uh, or has let you pick the restaurant. I have decided that I will be eating steak today, because I'm a man of God. And come on, right? You say, well, it's Eugene. You're supposed to go eat kale that's been dipped in uh, some sort of animal, something or other. no? I want meat, red meat. I see some nods. Come on. I'm not a hunter, I'm not a fisher, but I do like to eat it, uh, fish and, and red meat and all that. So uh, we're going to do that today. Uh, missed you guys last week. Bethany and I were over on a missions trip, and we were in Romania with our sister church over there. Uh, we, we got in to Aradia, Romania at about 7.30 at night, and literally we, got, we went to flew to Budapest, Hungary, where they picked us up, drove us to the church in Romania, we got out of the car, walked upstairs, and started teaching. That, they were like, this session is already started at 7. You're going to teach at 7.30. And it was 7.30 when we got there. So like walked in, sat down, and started teaching. And we did uh, nine uh, teachings, nine sessions there in four days. So that was a lot. And it was a great time, just a wonderful time, wonderful church over there. We'd like to take a team back sometime. And, and any of you that want to go, we could all go. Probably have to cancel church on that day if we all go. But, <clears throat> but we'll... Uh, be great. And then Bethany and I had the opportunity to, we went back to Budapest, Hungary, and then we took a train from Hungary to Vienna, Austria. And we were there for about a day and a half without our kids. Come on. <laughs> and uh, in Europe with my wife, without kids, that's a good day right there. Happy Father's Day to me. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, Father's Day, like, what do you want to do for Father's Day? I want to be alone. 
from my children. <laughs> my daughter, Evie, she's five, and so if it's a holiday, like if it's Father's Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, it doesn't matter. She just, it's a holiday, so she gets excited. So yesterday she's like, oh, tomorrow's Father's Day. And I, I don't want to break it to her. Father's Day means I'm going to be on the couch. That's basically what the holiday is about, right? Well, she's excited. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Well, this morning I want to share uh, what I believe is going to be an encouraging message uh, with you about being a, a father, either biologically, naturally, or even a spiritual father. Uh, I want to give you a message called Speaking with the Father's Voice. And I'm going to use an acronym, I'll get into it, to learn how to speak as a dad. I want to talk about speaking with the voice of discipline, the voice of affirmation, and the voice of direction. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of fatherhood as it's represented in our culture. Now, I'm 32. I remember when I was a kid, we had a thing called TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Anybody remember this? And there was shows on on TGIF. There was uh, I think Boy Meets World might have been on there for a little while, and Family Matters, and Step by Step. You're remembering these sitcoms? And, uh, and all those kind of shows. And I, and I remember watching those shows, and the father was in those shows, and different times that father was okay, pretty good. But then as culture kind of advanced, I remember even in pop culture and TV, the way that fathers were represented, it began to, up to this point, increasingly be that the father was basically a self-serving moron if he was even there, right? I mean, if you watch TV now, very rarely do you ever see depicted a healthy mom and dad with kids where the dad is walking in his fatherhood and, and, and representing, uh, you know, being the voice of discipline and affirmation and direction, like loving his wife and, and working and serving his children and being a good dad. You don't see that represented in culture. I think that's very interesting that you know, we would like to think, you know, we would think that our, our pop culture, our entertainment would reflect our culture, but I actually think that what's happening is that we're being dictated to. In other words, there's a message that's being spoken, because when I look even at this room here, I see a lot of really awesome men of God, a lot of awesome fathers, a lot of men that have been married for 10, 15, 20 years that love their wife and have been faithful. I see men of God that have raised good kids. I see men of integrity that go to work every day and bring home a paycheck and take care of their family. I see good fathers, great fathers, even in this place right here. So what's happening in culture? What's happening with this broad representation of fatherhood? Well, I believe what it is is the enemy is strategically working to diminish and to demean not just that individual father figure represented in the particular media that's being shown, a TV show or whatever it is, but is working to diminish the role of the father figure, to distort it, to, to demean it, to say the father is looking out for themselves. They're driven by lust. They're driven by greed. They're self-serving. They're not really there for their family. What we're seeing in culture is the elevation of the mom to basically take on both roles. Now, there's nothing, I'm not, this isn't about making men better than women, women better than men. It's nothing that. I'm just analyzing the cultural representation of fatherhood at this, in this moment. And what's happening is the enemy is diminishing and demeaning the role of the father because if he can if he can get this view of fatherhood, that fatherhood is unimportant, then it affects the way that children receive the voice of their father. It affects the way that, that women see uh, the, the masculine side of things. It affects, I think, most deeply how men, what the standard that they measure themselves up against. That rather than measuring their fatherhood, their masculinity, and their, their calling as a man, 
uh, to be either a, a natural father or, or spiritual father or both, as in most cases, that instead of measuring that against the word of God, they measure it against a cultural standard and, they, and it's, and it's a, not a good standard. And this is a, a strategy of the enemy because the father factor is hugely important. I would say to you today that whether you've had, if you had a good father, a father that was there for you, that raised you, I had a great father. I'm tremendously blessed. I've had a wonderful father. If you had a great father, then that gave your life a certain trajectory and it was disproportionately effective on a positive. That if you had a father that spoke words of affirmation to you and disciplined you and taught you how to live and taught you how to respect women or taught you how to relate to men, from the feminine side, that if you had a good father, it affected you disproportionately positively. And conversely, if you had a negative father influence in your life, as so many have or no father, then you were actually disproportionately affected negatively. How many of you would say that's true? That a lot of the issues that we face, a lot of the baggage that we carry, both good and bad, right? The good things about our life and the bad things, they were influenced heavily by this father factor, the father figure. When when the father factor is bad, it's really bad. Things go really wrong because God is invested in the, the masculine. He's invested strength and, and power. And that power, if it's used incorrectly, can really damage, can't it? But when it's good, it's really good. When it's good, it's really good. And that's why the enemy is attacking and demeaning and diminishing this role because he doesn't want men to connect with their role as fathers. Then you say, well, I'm 14 years old. I'm not a father. No, but you have within you the, the, the seeds to be a father physically, but also spiritually. We're called to disciple people, to help people take the next step with Jesus. And in your masculinity is this calling of fatherhood, this calling of fatherhood to, to speak as a father, to represent as a father, even to represent God. One of the reasons a lot of people have a hard time with God is that they had a hard time, a hard relationship or a bad relationship with their natural father. And that has framed and, and distorted their, their perspective and their relationship with God. So this morning, I want to share this word and I want to teach you how to, for the men, I want to teach you how to speak as a dad. And this is an acronym for three things that we as men are called to speak with number one, the voice of discipline. And I know that word's kind of scary. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger said it, you lack discipline. Come on. <laughs> Kindergarten cop, I think, right? It's a classic movie right up there with Casablanca uh, you know, the plays of Shakespeare and Kindergarten Cop right there. It's just upper echelons of our cultural heritage there. You lack discipline. The voice of discipline. We're to speak with the voice of affirmation and we're to sp speak with the voice of direction. Speak like a dad. Discipline, affirmation, and direction. Number one, the voice of discipline. This is something that I'm very familiar with. I, I had a great dad. My dad uh, disciplined us as kids. Now, lest you think I'm speaking just only of like spanking or timeouts or punishment form of discipline. When I say discipline, I'm talking about drawing lines and, and bringing a consequence if you cross that line, okay? So take that kind of broad sense there. But my dad, he disciplined us. And I remember there was that voice, right? There was that sound of his voice, like, Jacob, you know, and instantly my spine was straight, and my back hurt because my was, you know, that fear that comes, you know, and all of a sudden your neck doesn't work and you have to turn to your father. I do that to my kids now. Jack, you know, there's instant, you know, instant attention. 
uh, there was that look in his eyes, right? When, when my dad was wearing the mantle of, uh, that God had given him, the voice of discipline, this aspect of who he was, it arrested our attention and it stopped us in our tracks, whatever we were doing, because we knew the funk was about to fall, right? And my dad had these weird phrases. He would say things like, you guys are riding the dog. I have no idea what the heck that means. <laughs> I say it to my kids, though, because my dad's in my head, you know? Hey, kids, you're really riding the dog. And they're like, what? We don't even have a dog. Does... <laughs> Mom, can we get a dog so we can ride it? You know, no, no. It means you're being bad. My dad would talk about winning the lottery. He'd say, Johnny, it's my little brother. You know, he sometimes got in trouble. The first kid always gets spanked the most. You know what I'm saying? We're the oldest kids. We're like the guinea pig, right? Just, just like blow your nose, get a spanking. Why'd you spank me, dad? Well, because I don't know what I'm doing yet. You're the first kid, you know? <laughs> Wasn't sure what we were supposed to do. And the youngest child, I always get away with everything, right? I'm just processing my baggage here. All you youngest children, you know the Lord's going to discipline you because you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I remember, though, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. We're having fun, though, so that's okay. That's that cotton candy talking. Now, I remember my dad's voice, that look, that voice of discipline. It scares the stupid right out of you. It scares the sin right out of you, right? And God has given you that voice, man. There's a reason why you have a beso profundo, deep voice, you know? Maybe you were born with one of those high voices, you know, as a guy. I'm sorry. But God has, he's given you that, that power, not so that you can just bring fear to your children, but so that you can bring the fear of the Lord. But, you know, as a father, a good father, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about freaking your kids out. I'm talking about representing authority and power. You speak with that voice. God has given you that anointing, that mantle, that, that role to walk in, to speak with this voice of discipline. And my dad would do that, and it would whoop, arrest attention, scare the sin right out of, out of me. And, you know, I think we, we talk about discipline, and it's a huge deal. Let me read you a scripture it says in Proverbs 19, 18, it says, Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. This is one of those scary verses because it's very clear. It's very, very clear. Discipline your children while there is hope, indicating that there is a time-sensitive uh, period on which there's a, an opportunity to save your kid's life. And the writer here, the Lord speaking here, it says, Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you'll ruin their lives. You go, what do you mean ruin their lives? Like, if I don't discipline my kids, they're going to have a ruined life? Yes. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a guy in the Bible, and we kind of idolized him as Christians. His name was David. And David was the guy that killed Goliath, and David became a king of Israel. One of the, the verses that preachers like to quote is they say, well, David was a man after God's own heart, which is true. He loved God. He wrote a bunch of the book of Psalms. He killed giants. He was a king. He was a worshiper. David was looked at sort of as this hero of our faith, and he deserves to be seen that way. But he had this really glaring fault that is evidenced in the Bible, and it's actually very tragic, and, and, and this is his fault, that he was a terrible father. I mean, just a terrible father. David would not discipline his children, and that was basically what messed up their entire lives. Unfortunately, David had these three sons, and I won't go into their, their whole life, but it was his, I think his three oldest sons, Ammon, Absalom, Adonijah. And all three of them 
had untimely deaths, died tragically, one of them at the other brother's hand, actually two of them at another brother's hand. They all died because their dad did not discipline them. And you go, how, is, what do you, how does that even work? You see, discipline is drawing a line, instructing and saying, do not cross this line. Don't go past or there will be a consequence. And, and when we have young kids, we discipline them so that they will learn to internalize those lines. The purpose of discipline is that you would eventually, that your child would grow in self-control so that they no longer need your discipline. They discipline themselves, right? You know, when we talk about someone in culture, we say they're undisciplined, like they're undisciplined with their eating. We mean that they cross the line and they can't stop themselves. So an undisciplined person doesn't have self-control. When we discipline our children, we are teaching them to have self-control, which eventually eliminates the need for that discipline. Now, David didn't do this with his sons. He wouldn't say, here's a line, don't cross it. If you cross it, this is what will happen. And because he was unwilling to do that, three of his sons died tragic deaths. It says in 1 Kings 1, 5 and 6, about that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, listen to this, one of the most tragic lines in the entire Bible, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Now you go, well, what's happening here? I don't understand. The chariots and people running around and he said he's going to be king. Adonijah was crossing a major line in this context. David had made his son Solomon, had promised his son Solomon that he'd be king. Adonijah was trying to usurp the throne of Israel because he didn't understand this is a line, don't cross it. If you cross it, there will be a consequence. David had not disciplined his sons and so they didn't stay on the right side of the line. Now you see, let's say a man who's disciplining a four-year-old girl or a three-year-old boy and it looks like, what's that jerk doing? Because he's, you know, at that little kid. Remember the sound we made, guys? You know, he's hulking and there's a three-year-old kid quivering, you know, freaking out. Like, what a jerk. No, no, no. When you're disciplining your children in love, you're teaching them there are lines. Do not cross them. So that one day when you're not there and there's a line that they could cross, potentially they don't. That's love. That's love. Culture would tell you that, you know, if, if you spank your children, that you're abusing your children. That's incorrect. Now you can go into an abusive way and you shouldn't do that. And I'll talk about some of the practical aspects here, but let's not get smarter than the Bible. Let's not grow smarter than God's word, right? Lest we become so intellectual that you know, our, brain, our mind is so open that our brain falls out. <clears throat> David neglected to discipline his son, and the results were tragic. Adonijah crosses the line. He's actually shown mercy at one point. But then later, when David's gone, Adonijah crosses the line again, and his life is taken from him. He's ended. He, he's, he's out of commitment. He's gone, right? He's dead. D-E-A-D, dead. He's gone because David didn't discipline him. Discipline is very serious, very, very serious. Let me give you some practical thoughts on discipline. Number one, fathers, discipline for your children, not for yourself. Never discipline for yourself, for your own sake, discipline for their sake. Meaning this, there are times when your kids are going to do something that you're going to be frustrated at, angry, and you're going to want to go Hulk, oh, lose your mind, and you need to count to 10, 
and back, back up because if you're releasing frustration, that's not discipline. That's just you now feeling better because you've been able to like let go of that frustration. No, you don't discipline in that spirit, that mindset. Uh, you discipline in, 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 uh, when you're calm. So if you need to get calm, that's the right way to discipline. You're disciplining for your children because you love them, not for yourself to release frustration. Second thing is that we have to be disciplined about discipline. You know, when you draw a line and the child crosses that line, there needs to be a consequence. You can't just always say, well, we'll just look the other way this time. That's not discipline then. You know, why, why, how is your ch- child going to learn self-control if there's no control being exerted in that, that moment? Now, I'm, not, I'm preaching to myself. My wife and I had a conversation, I think, last year, and we're like, we are terrible parents because our kids are awful, you know? People are oh, your kids are so cute. No, they're, they're not. Um, <laughs> in public, they are. No, we have amazing children. I, or we do have great kids, but we realized we need to get more disciplined about discipline. And, and to discipline the right way, it takes some time, and I'll explain some things why it takes time. Number three, we, discipline should always coincide with instruction and with direction. And so discipline isn't just punishment in a vacuum by itself. Uh, oh, you did something, I didn't like it, so I spanked you, or I put you in timeout, or I took away a toy. That's not discipline. Discipline always should coincide with direction and instruction, meaning don't ever discipline your kid for something you've not told them not to do. If you've not drawn the line and made it clear, don't discipline them for that. One time, Evie, she drew with a permanent marker on our TV and our couch and our wall and around the living room, and Bethany called me, oh, what do we do? We, we didn't discipline her because we never instructed her not to do that. And I think she was, what, like two or three? Two years old. So here's a two-year-old girl. That seemed like a good idea at the time to her. Now, I don't know in her head really, uh, did she really think it was right? I don't know, but we'd never given instruction, so we didn't do discipline. So then when she did that, we were like, ah, okay, hon, let's have a conversation, you know, to a two-year-old, right? I don't, we're, we're using finger puppets and stuff, I think, but we don't draw on the, the couch. We don't draw on the TV. We don't draw on the walls, and we drew a line. So now when she crosses that line, there's discipline, but there's instruction and direction that's gone along with it, Right? Also, after you discipline, you need to be able to have enough time uh, to explain what's happening. You know, little kids, like my son Jack is three, sometimes he gets in trouble and he knows that he did wrong, but he's so emotional or, you know, kind of worked up that in that moment, he's he's not recognizing and connecting the dots. So I have to calm him down. I don't discipline. If my kids are like screaming and thrashing, I don't discipline them. I say, calm down. Are you gonna are you gonna give me a spanking? Yes. Whoa! I'll wait it out. Calm down, calm down, calm down. They're calm, I'm calm. Because we're doing we're having a teaching moment. Does that make sense? So discipline is about teaching, it's about instruction. And and when you think about this, you're not getting benefit when your kid is like, oh, you know, having this moment. They're just emotional and distraught. That's not Discipline, we want to always connect it with instruction and, and, and direction. That's why it takes some time and why it takes discipline to be a good parent, to be a dad that, that walks in this area and speaks with the voice of discipline. And again, just to remind you, the point is not to punish. The point is to teach self-control. The point of discipline is to eliminate the need for it. I remember the very last time I received a spanking, I think I was 12 or 11, and my sister and I, my mom was going to do two for one. So we were being bad as always together, partners in crime. And she got one of those like three meter yardsticks, which was really bendy and flexible. 
and decided to spank us in this bathroom that was like three feet wide. So she couldn't even, it was like, couldn't even get, you know, motion there. And, and so she was just like, hit us, and it just kind of like, ooh, you know, and both of us are. <laughs> so we start laughing, which made my mom really happy. Uh, and then she realized this isn't working. We're going to switch tactics. And then we were grounded, and there was a lot of pain in that, right? But, but honestly, when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, there was very infrequent discipline. Why? Because we've been disciplined a lot between three and four and five and six and seven. Again, there's a window, a time period. Uh, now, if you have older kids and you were like never disciplined and you're like, oh no, my kids are going to die. No, you can start now. But, but, but honestly, for those with young children and those that are going to have children, use that season of discipline so that your kids begin to already understand and walk with self-control even at nine, 10, 11 years old. So, discipline. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You're not provoking your kids. You're not trying to frustrate your kids. It's a teaching moment, but you speak with that voice of discipline. Let's move on. Number two, the voice of affirmation. I love this one. I love this one. It says in in Mark chapter 1 verse 9, we're going to read this. We get a, a window into God's parenting with his son Jesus. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now I want you to think about this for one second. Here's Jesus. He's 30 years old. He's being baptized. This is the beginning of his ministry and he's, he's 30 years old. Okay. Uh, that's pretty old. And he hasn't done anything at this point. He's not moved in any ministry. We have one little snapshot of Jesus' life as, as a 12-year-old. That's it. And, we, and those are the obscure years, those dark years between you know, his infancy, then we see him at 12, then between 12 and 30. He's not done anything. There's been no ministry. We don't know. And, and yet, here's God, his father, and he affirms Jesus. He says, this is my dearly loved son, and he brings me great joy. This is beautiful because God the Father affirmed Jesus before he did anything. Affirmation is not about performance, it's about identity. We don't affirm our children because they've done good or not affirm them because they've done bad. We, we disconnect affirmation from performance because we have discipline and direction that bookend it, but your kids need to know you are mine and I love you no matter what you do or how you perform. This is the element of grace that we need to have as fathers. We, we, we disconnect affirmation from performance. Affirmation should be rooted in identity, not achievement. So my son, Jack, he's not done anything. Jack doesn't make our family any money. Jack hasn't, you know, he hasn't buy stocks on the side. I mean, I hope not, at least. Um, Jack is not, he doesn't farm. You know, I mean, he's not real productive. Even for us to get Jack to do a chore, like pick up his toys, it's actually more work for us to be like, Jack, pick him up, you know, okay, sure. And then he's in the backyard. What are you doing, son? Get back in here. So Jack is not like productive in our family. He's three. But I don't, I don't not affirm him because he's not productive. I still put my hand on his chest at night and say, Jack, yeah, you're my son. You're my son. Because he's my son, whether he does good, bad, indifferent, ugly, whatever. He's, my, he's still my son. Affirmation identity. This is who you are. You belong to me. You're my boy. You're my, my son. I love you. I'm proud of you because of who you are, not what you do. 
we're going to work on what you do. We are going to discipline. We are going to give direction. But, but affirmation is about your identity. We don't connect our love to our kids' performance. My daughter sometimes, you know, she's five and a half and very dramatic. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. I don't know where she gets it from her mom. But anyways, no, I'm just kidding. She probably gets it from me. So Evie, a lot of times if she has a bad day, she'll say, oh, I had a bad day, Daddy. And at night when she's exhausted, I'm like, just go to sleep, honey. Oh, no, Daddy. You know, I was bad today. Yes, you were bad today. I, was, I hit Jack and I did this. And I, I, you don't love me anymore. No, honey, no. Yes, you were bad. Yes, you got disciplined. But yes, we love you. We'll never not love you. We'll never, you'll never not be our daughter. Does that make sense? Affirmation is beyond those performance in any, in any way. And I want you to think about the fact that this is how God is with us. God doesn't disconnect his love from you when you don't perform the right way. Because all of us are growing. All of us are kids, right? In some way, we're the children of God. And we make mistakes and we, we don't pick up our toys when we're supposed to. And sometimes we don't clean up after ourselves. And sometimes we make a big mess and don't clean it up, right? And God doesn't come and say, well, I don't love you now because you didn't perform in the way that I want you to perform. He says, no, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. You are going to get disciplined and I am going to direct you. But my affirmation comes to you because you're my son or my daughter. So fathers, we have the ability to really elevate our children by affirming them, by connecting them with identity. Put your, your hand on your kid and Tell them that you love them. Put your hand on them. Hug them. You know, guys, there's, there's nothing uh, written in the stars that says you can't actually show some affection. Uh, you can. Hug your kids. Love your kids. Bounce them on your knee. Let them ride around because those are the things that they're going to remember. Those are the things that are going to stick with it. Even in those moments when they're not remembering discipline, they'll remember affirmation and identity. You want to get their heart. Get their heart and affirm them. Lastly, and we'll move on and go get some steak. Come on, Jesus. Speaking in tongues. Voice of direction. Fathers, we speak the voice of discipline, the voice of affirmation, but also the voice of direction. This means coaching. This means leadership. This means helping to shape their future, to, to, to coach them in the right direction. You, you, you as the father have been anointed and called to shape your child's future, to, to launch them out. The, the scripture says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full. We, our kids, guys, are, are, are arrows that we get to fire for, which means they go further than us in their destiny than we could achieve. But a lot of dads are, are kind of absent from this area of, of, of directing their kids. Bethany and I were in youth ministry for many, many years, and one of the most frustrating conversations we'd ever have was not with youth, not with teenagers, it was with their parents. And we'd say, hey, why doesn't, you know, little Jimmy come to youth on Sunday night? Well, you know, I just want him to find his own way. What the heck does that mean? If your kid was dropped into a jungle, would you let him find their own way? Or would you go help them figure out how to get out of there? If your kid was thrown into the middle of the ocean, and you, well, I hope he just figures out how to swim and get out of there. They need you to give them some direction. You're 14 years old. Your brain does not work. You have so many hormones, it's coming out of your eyeballs. All of your friends are idiots. They're all 14. There's 800 kids at their school that nobody knows what to do or where to go or what to make of themselves. They don't know up from down or right from wrong. And they need parents. Have we lost our minds? Dad, I don't want to go to youth group on Sunday night. Well, then have a nice time providing for your food and clothing 
and everything like that. Because if you, come on, dads, you are called of God to get into your kids and be their coach and strategize with them and give them some direction. You know, I love seeing like on basketball when the team's kind of listless and they're missing shots and, you know, the guy's dribbling all around and they're, you know, the shot clock runs out. All of a sudden the coach calls a timeout and they huddle them all together and they pull out the playbook. Okay, look, you're going to go here and here's an X and an O. We're going to draw this strategy and we're going to draw the play up so you can get out and you can win again. I remember my dad would draw us in and we'd say, dad, this is what's going on in my life. And he'd bring us in. Come on, huddle up here. All right, Jake, this is what you're going to do. That girl, not for you. She's not the right one. Not, not at all. Oh no, but oh, he's, he damaged my, my, no, it's my dad. He loves me. He's coaching me to be a champion. Well, I can't tell my daughter not to wear that because I would damage her spirit. No, you would save her. You would help her. Voice of direction. Get your kids in the huddle. Listen, X's and O's, this is what we're going to do. Speaking life to you. I'm speaking direction to you. Not letting you find your own way. You're lost in here. You don't know how to think. I'm teaching you how to think. I'm I'm putting some instruction inside of you. We love God. We go to church on Sunday. You can watch Netflix all the other million hours during the week. Get your butt up. There's coffee and cotton candy for God's sake. (laughs) And beef jerky today. And you can eat popcorn. So get out of bed. Pull your dang pants up. And let's go to church because we love God. Voice of direction. Dad, I'm sorry, but if culture has taught you that you can't speak in this way, it's wrong. It's a lie. And you are called to put the pants on and direct your family. Doesn't mean that you're like bossing everybody around. Oh, give me something. No, I'm talking about directing them in the areas that matter in life. How do we do this? How do we do this? Three things. We speak vision. This is the what. We speak values. This is the why. And we speak strategy, this is the how. We speak vision, this is the what. We speak values, the why, and the strategy, the how. With your kids, they're going to bring dreams to you. I want to do this, Dad. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this. I want to be that. Okay, great. That's good vision. Let's talk about that vision. Let's talk about what it is. Let's clarify it. Let's, Let's hone it in. Let's focus on it. And maybe they bring you a stupid vision. That You know, I love you. But, you know, being a flute-playing skateboarder is not a good vision for your life. <laughs> flautists. That's just, you hear that word and you just think, no, you leave that one alone. No offense to the flautists. We saw a guy playing the flute in uh, Vienna, Austria, and nobody was listening. Okay. <clears throat> it's harsh. I'm sorry, flautists. I'm sorry. Uh, but vision, you know, the what. There, there's times when my siblings and I would bring bad ideas to my dad, and he would say, okay, let's shape this. Let's, let's draw some plays up here. And have you considered this? And your kids are going to bring lots of different visions, but help them shape the what and the values, the why. Recently, Evie came to us and she said, I, I want to do this cheerleading thing and for little girls. And there's nothing wrong with cheerleading at all. So don't get me wrong. I'm, this is a personal value for us. I, I said, honey, well, have you thought about doing like karate or maybe track and field? We live in, in Eugene and we have the best track and field in the world. Like we're the best and you're a fast runner. And listen, I'm not, it's nothing to do with cheerleading. I just want my daughter, I just want for her to think about other things, okay? And so I was coaching her in the area of values. For our family, this is what we believe, this is how we are. So those are our values, okay? If your family doesn't have any values, 
Like, these are important things to us. You need to work on that. Get some values where you can help with your kids because you're going to need to speak into them. Obviously, we want to give them godly values. We want to give them biblical values. And then the, the area of strategy, the how. Again, they're going to bring vision to you. You're going to shape it with values, but then help them to, to build steps. This is how you climb the ladder. This is how you get from A to B. Be there with your kids, coaching them, speaking with the voice of direction. That is how you speak as a dad. The voice of discipline, the voice of affirmation, the voice of direction. How many of you think that if the fathers in this church would raise up, rise up and speak with this voice, speak and be this for their kids, it would be a powerful thing. Amen. But for everybody, even if you're not a biological father, every person needs discipline, affirmation, and direction. I need it in my life. Come on. My dad still is fathering me. I'll call, he'll call me today, how did church go, son? Oh, it's pretty good, dad. You know, what did you do? You guys did this. Yeah, that's what we did. Great, you should think about this. You know, I'm 32 years old. He's still my dad. He's still coaching me, directing me, disciplining me, affirming me. He doesn't spank me anymore because I'm way faster, but I'm still scared. Uh, but I just run away. I'm just quicker. He's a little slow. Um, but I still have coaching and direction in my life. And all of us need this. And you can be a spiritual father, guys. Even if you don't have biological kids, you can be a spiritual father. Speak discipline, affirmation, and direction into people's lives. This morning as we finish up, there's two areas that I just want to pray for, for every guy and every person. The first area is the area of healing. I know for a lot of people, Father's Day is not a day to celebrate. I saw some posts on Facebook this morning that really broke my heart. A, a young lady said something about it's not a good day for her. And that just broke my heart because I am fortunate to have had a great father. But I know for so many that they've had a bad experience. And whether that was physical abuse or emotional or sexual or just being absent or whatever it was like, I want to pray that you would be healed this morning, that God would reveal himself as a father. Nobody has a perfect father. If you have a human father, they're imperfect. But our father in heaven is perfect. And I believe that God wants to heal you today. God wants to, to, to have you leave this place with a, a restored view of what a good father is, your father in heaven. So we're going to pray for that, and then we'll pray for every dad to be commissioned to walk in these three voices, to use these three voices and do what I've talked about today. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, God. What an awesome father you are. Lord, you are a perfect father. As we sing in that song, you're a good, good father, perfect in all of your ways. Lord, I pray for healing today, that if there's a father wound in any person here today, God, there's those moments that have scarred us, marked us, where maybe a father that was supposed to protect abused, a father that was supposed to provide neglected, a father that was supposed to affirm was absent or, or Lord, was, was cruel. And Lord, those wounds go deep. But we, we thank you that you are a perfect father. And Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms around every person in this place with your love. That God, you, you speak with discipline, with affirmation and direction, that you are there to be the Abba, the Papa, the Father that we maybe never had or that wasn't there for us. And I pray for that healing to take place right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for every dad in this place. Whether it's natural or spiritual, we ask that God, you would empower them to speak with the voice of discipline, affirmation, and direction, that, God, we would be a place that has great dads, men of integrity, 
that are raising up amazing kids and great disciples, Lord, that are walking in our God-given mandate as men, not to use our power to harm or to, or to uh, selfishly just provide for ourselves, but Lord, our power in service of those that are weaker than us and more vulnerable, that we would serve with our power, that we would speak in our power to, to affirm and to encourage and to build. Bless every dad, Lord, encourage them today. We bless them on Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.